0: folks welcome to the arabian horse connection the official podcast of the arabian horse association tune in every other week as we discuss industry trends news and all things arabian horses we are here to honor the versatility heritage and future of the arabian horse connecting you to this legendary breed i'm your host katie feitner join me as we delve into the world of arabian horses This week, I had the opportunity to speak with Linda Royer of Farm and Ranch Equine Design. Linda is an avid equestrian and has owned and bred Arabian horses since 1982. She also started Farm and Ranch Equine Design in 1994 and has accumulated over 44 years of professional experience with 25 years of experience emphasizing designing equine specific properties. Linda speaks about the equine property design experience from finding a site all the way through the final stages while providing some valuable tips on facility design elements that every potential equine property owner should know so without further ado let's take a dive into equine facility design with Linda Royer thanks so much for being on our podcast today Um, I'm really excited to dive into this topic I know that we have a lot of horse owners that are that have their horses at home that would definitely love to know some tips and tricks about facility design or even just what goes into designing a facility so thanks for being here today Glad to. So, Linda, first things first, can you just give a brief introduction of who you are um, what, and what your current role is in the equine industry? Sure. My name is Linda
1: Royer and I am the owner of Farm and Ranch Equine Design. We're located in Central Oregon, actually Terrebonne, Oregon, uh, near Smith Rock, if anybody knows that. And, um, uh, Uh, We've been in Central Oregon for about two and a half years. Prior to that, I was in the Willamette Valley area. Uh, I started equine uh, facility design in 1994, and it has grown and expanded. And I've done some wonderful projects along the way that uh, have been an absolute delight to, to do.
0: Wow, very cool. I'm familiar with the area. I um, actually grew up in the Pacific Northwest. So okay. um I've been all around those parts of the country. Beautiful country, by the way. Yes, gorgeous. Yes, it I is. love visiting. Yeah. So how did you get started in Equine facility design? What do you how did you tie it into your love of horses and all that good stuff?
1: Well, I've been a lifelong horse lover. I was one of those little girls that uh, from my earliest memories are loving horses and and uh, anything connected with horses drew me. I was in a non horsey family, so um, I worked very hard to get my first horse when I was 11 years old and have had them pretty much all my life ever since. They went away for a little while while I had a a young family and when I went to college. But other than that, horses have been my first and lifelong love. When I went to college, I was a design major. I was in the School of Architecture at University of Oregon and when I was in my fifth year of architecture, it is a five-year program, I was uh, in the concrete uh, structures class and I saw the landscape students outside studying trees and shrubs and, and everything outdoors and I said to myself, I really don't want to design concrete structures. I want to <laughs> work with living materials. Mm-hmm. And so I doubled up classes, did a double major and got my degree in architecture with a second degree, uh, second major in landscape architecture. So then um, I went into the professional office and, and uh, did you know, a stint as a, a city planner. And uh, I worked for a multidiscipline design firm of architects, engineers, landscape architects, and surveyors for 11 years, was a principal there. And it grew from me starting the landscape architecture and planning uh, department to, it grew to a place where I had 17 or 18 people I was managing. And I had uh, gotten to the point where Management was not what I went to school for and what I enjoyed. So I really wanted to go out on my own. The other factor was that I had bought property, designed and built. a uh, My residence there had a barn and and was able to have horses. So I really wanted to have a lifestyle where I had flexibility in my schedule, Mm -hmm. uh, flexibility for my horses, to be able to go riding when the weather was nice. And then when it wasn't, I could uh, work on uh, the drawing board or on my projects. I've had my office in my home since 1994. Um, I uh, was fortunate to have enough space that I could have employees come to the office and at one time have had up to about four employees working out of my home with me. Uh, One of them was an architect from Germany, who was a horsewoman. And uh, she kept her horse at my place. Uh, So we would uh, take off and go riding together, training together, did clinics together, and as well as worked on projects together. So it was was great fun to do that. And the other thing was, when I designed my house, and I really believe in designing your lifestyle as well as your environment. So I designed uh, and I, I really like doing this. I designed the house so that it had a lot of windows and it was in the center of the property. So almost from all the windows, I could see horses around me and I call that horse TV. You know. It's, <laughs> It's <laughs> a wonderful way to live being very connected to your horses. And uh I, I really love doing that for other people.
0: Oh, I love that. That is oh, I love that so much. That is so cool. I love what you said about um, you know, designing for your lifestyle and um having that be the center of your focus for design I feel like especially nowadays with how busy everybody is that's so important I love that oh my gosh (laughs) so how did you get into Arabian horses and are you what are you doing in the Arabian horse community now
1: Well, my first Arabian I bought in 1981, she was a Kellogg Crabbit bred mare and she just we had great adventures. She had been a show horse, but she she loved trails and and we did a lot of horse camping and trails. And uh, then I bred her to a Bosque son and had a baby and that kind of got me hooked on the breeding business. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I went to my first Scottsdale Arabian horse show in 1982, I believe, and have gone many years since then. I remember when um, I went to Arabian Nationals when it was in Albuquerque. And of course, my interest was in dressage and sport horses. And I first saw the um Arabian warmblood crosses in dressage, and I was very impressed with what they could do. So I specifically looked for Arabian mares that would be good sport horses, and it was really kind of an emerging uh, discipline then. I have bred my Arabian mares on warmbloods, uh, Hanoverian, Holsteiner, Oldenburg, And I love that cross Mm. because it gives size and substance, but it gives a mind that um, uh, an adult amateur can work with really, Mm. really well. It gives more bone length of stride. um, And I I just really love that combination of. you don't have to have German legs to ride that combination. <laughs> and I love I love the, the mind of the Arabian. They really my my horses are family to me. Uh, and right now I have since we've moved to Central Oregon, Tarabon is an amazing place for endurance riding. Uh, I have two endurance rides that are probably 15 minutes from home and within an hour, I probably have six. So I have trails that we can ride pretty much year round. Um, And so that's wonderful for training. I might the two that I have here at home. Um, they're older. I bred both of them. One is a half Arab, half Hanoverian, he's 16, three hands. So a little challenging, uh, on trails when you have to open the cowboy gates that are, uh, you know, barbed wire gates. Uh, so mounting is, is a little more challenging. I have to always look for a rock or a ditch or a stump to mount on, um, Anyway, he's 17 and my mare is 24 and they both love trails. It was so interesting to take uh, my big uh, warmblood Cross-Gilding, who had been a dressage horse. And in the dressage arena, you're virtually micromanaging every footfall mm-hmm. of, of their movement. And I had to let him... Go on a loose rein on the trails and let him make mistakes in order to learn about managing his own feet Mm -hmm. and how to do obstacles and and hills and and things like now that now he's very trustworthy. And yesterday we were out riding and we had to go cross country and and uh, he can negotiate just about anything. So, yeah, it's a it's a great joy and delight.
0: I love the trail riding. That's one of my favorite things to do with my horses as well. Get out of the arena for a little bit. Uh (laughs) So I want to dive a little bit more into your business and then equine facility design. So can you just elaborate a little bit more about the services that farm and ranch equine design offers?
1: Sure. So let's start with the site. Uh, If we're going to develop something, we have to have a site. And that in itself is is a challenge. Uh, I oftentimes work with clients as they are searching for sites to do a quick site analysis uh, of potential sites to see if it will work for their program. Uh, We've typically discussed an idea of what they want to develop. And um, then they may bring me uh, sites that I look at uh, uh, online or I go and visit a site with them to see, you know, the different conditions. So what I'm looking at is the microclimate Um I'm looking at the soil conditions, the drainage conditions, the existing vegetation, access, surrounding uses. Um, Basically, how easy is it going to be to uh, put their program together on that Mm -hmm. site? Uh, Do they have access or can utilities be brought in? That sort of thing. I have worked on sites that have ranged from one acre for a three stall barn up to I'm just starting a project on three thousand acres. So (laughs) and it, it varies immensely. So one of one of the things I do a lot of research on is what the local jurisdiction requirements are, and they vary dramatically across the country. In some areas, um, agricultural buildings have an ag-exempt permit, and it's very easy to get uh, that instead of a full building permit. Other sites may require extensive investigation and specialists, probably the worst case scenario was a project um, inland from Santa Cruz, California, where uh, we had 100 acres, we were developing a 10 stall barn and an indoor arena. And because of the complexity of the site, and the jurisdiction, it took us four years to get approval. Wow. Um, We had a number of specialists on that. And I oftentimes do work with specialists. I I always work with a structural engineer. Uh, I oftentimes work with a geotechnical engineer, uh, survey surveyors, uh, civil engineers, uh, environmental specialists, um, all kinds of, of different specialists as the site requires and as the jurisdiction requires. So it it varies a great deal. So in the initial kind of investigation on a site, I look at all the physical characteristics and then I look at the um, jurisdictional uh, requirements uh, in order to see what it will take to get approval for what we want to do. Then at that point, I I oftentimes work with the client to further expand their kind of written development program Mm -hmm. Uh, so I can understand what all the uses are that they want to incorporate on on the property, Um, you know, what's existing. Sometimes there will be an existing residence, existing utilities, existing access, and we develop Uh, from there. So our objective is to develop a site master plan that has the footprints of all the uses on it. And then I look at placing those footprints in uh, a way that is the least disruptive to the site in terms of grading and drainage and vegetation, but also is very functional for access and for coordination between buildings and, and things like that. You know, it's it's always so interesting because this involves both the aesthetic and the very functional. So we want to create something that fits with the land, um, you know, very well, but also is uh, beautiful at the same time. Right, right. Uh, I consider horses to be living art that move through the landscape, and uh, I want my clients to be able to enjoy that. But also very, very practical things such as, you know, where uh, you're going to store your hay and bedding and Mm -hmm. access with big trucks, uh, things like that. So every every client, every site, every jurisdiction is really unique um, it, when you combine those. And I've never done it, two projects alike um, So, it I've had clients that I worked with for nine or ten years sometimes in the development of of their property from the time that they buy it until final completion. And it may be done in phases, but it's all kind of off that original site plan. And from that master plan, we can develop plans for utility services and grading and, uh, you know, make a logic. Uh, progression of development
0: so now for smaller properties versus a larger property so say like someone wants to build a 50 stall barn versus someone that wants to just do a three stall barn does that initial phase change at all are there any differences in that or is it the same across the board
1: yes it it really is pretty much the same across the board Um, I've got you know a number of projects that I do like a three or four stall barn. Hmm. And the first thing is developing the site master plan uh, to look at, at placement of it. So, um, and it's interesting because I have, uh, you know, places that have very, very tight land area requirements. I'm working on a project now in the Santa Ynez Valley that we're doing an eight stall barn, uh, mostly for dressage horses on four and a half acres that already has an existing residence on it. And they want a large storage barn, a, a additional dwelling unit, a large arena. And it, uh, you know, it's it's a really a a, a jigsaw puzzle to fit together in, in the best configuration given the setbacks and the topography and the views mm-hmm. and things like that.
0: It's funny, it's the little things that people don't think about that often matter the most sometimes. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 And I'll, I'll give
1: you an example, you know, it, and this is probably even more critical on on a small property is what do you do with manure?
0: Right. And
1: uh, for large uh, projects, it, it can you know, or large stables, it can be quite expensive to uh, dispose, collect and dispose of of manure. And you want to do that in a way that is efficient and not offensive. Uh, But you want to ease the labor in cleaning stalls and and dumping the manure. Uh, I've done a number of aerated compost systems. Uh, It's a design from O2 Compost. And uh, those are really quite marvelous um, because I have one here at at my place and I've done several others. And they're really nice because they turn what is a liability into an asset Mm. because it turns out beautiful compost that is sterilized to kill pathogens and wheat seeds. and so it turns it into a beautiful soil amendment that can be used in gardens. It can be sold. Uh, there's lots of of uh, places that will benefit from a good
0: compost. That's so efficient for a smaller property, too. That makes so much sense to have a, a dual purpose piece of, um, piece of your property. Yes. Something yes. like that. Wow, yes. that's so interesting. So how so is is farm, farm and ranch equine design are you nationwide or do you just stay in the in the western part of the US?
1: I have done projects all over the country okay. and internationally. Oh, I did wow. a project in Australia. It was a dressage and hutter jumper barn on about 50 acres. That was on the Mornington uh, Peninsula in Western Australia. I've done a project in Ireland, uh, Cashel, Ireland, uh, which is kind of the heart of the thoroughbred uh, industry in Ireland. And that was lots of fun. But I've done projects in Virginia, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, um, you know, all through the Midwest and many projects on on the West Coast. Wow. Um, one of the projects I'm doing right now is a polo uh, training and uh, competition facility in the North Bay, uh, just north of San Francisco. Uh, that's kind of a fun project. Um, cool. And then an- the other, another one I'm just starting is this very, very large equine competition facility in Oregon. That's 3,000 acres, and it is going to be designed to be able to accommodate international level competitions of all FEI level um, events and disciplines. So that's going to be very exciting. We will have three to four covered arenas and probably about 12 outdoor arenas, uh, a driving course, an eventing course. you know, will be able to handle all the disciplines. Uh, yeah. It also includes a resort. And uh, anyway, that's a, a fun project. I've actually worked with that client for 10 years oh, wow. as we have looked at uh, different sites in the West Coast to explore for, for developing this. So it looks like we've landed on a, a really good site that will accommodate this. So that's going to be very exciting to support the Equal industry on the West Coast, especially.
0: No kidding. That's a cool project. Wow. So you go all over the place. So how what have you noticed between um, designing facilities in different climates?
1: Well, uh, and and it's really important to understand the microclimate, Um, You know, when I'm working in, you know, say Tennessee or some of the areas that are really humid, being able to open up a barn uh, for maximum ventilation and designing in a lot of shade structures uh, is very important. When you go to an area that has heavy snowfall, you want to uh, be able to do things like dump manure when there's four feet of snow on the ground. Yeah. And I designed a covered walkway to the uh, compost area from the barn in that condition in California. uh, And, you know, I try to take this into account in in many areas. Uh, We I often have to design for fire resistance. Mm. And um, that's, you know, very specialized design, but it, it certainly can be done uh so i try to design for you know what the local microclimate is in terms of sun exposure wind uh views um you know and temperature ex- extremes mm-hmm. the other thing i try to do in in my design is i try to be an advocate for the health of the horse mm-hmm. and that is both mental and physical. I understand that horses are herd animals. They're social animals. Uh, They need to have a a connection to other horses and to their environment whenever possible. I like to see horses have access to the outside 24-7, either through runs or paddocks or something like that. I understand that's not always possible. Mm -hmm. We want to separate our horses for feeding, uh, for being able to access them for for training and for riding. But I try to advocate for, uh, you know, horse to have as good an environment as possible. When I'm designing stables, I try to utilize natural light and airflow as much as possible for when horses are in the stables, and also to make people comfortable as well. An example might be I really like to use overhead infrared heaters uh, in the groom stalls so that uh, people and horses will be comfortable in there uh, when you're grooming and and the temperatures are getting low. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's lots of little things. The other thing I I try to do is uh, to look for innovative materials to introduce into barns. And one that I've used quite a bit of lately is recycled plastic lumber. Uh, It's HDPE uh, lumber. And there are companies that make that in tongue and groove boards. They make it in different colors so you can get creative with it. And it is wonderful because it resists kicking and chewing and it scrubs up beautifully. Uh, I started using it in wash stalls But I've also used it for all the stall walls in some barns as well. Uh, So uh, they also make HDPE fencing, which I have used on a number of projects. And it is wonderful because it's not going to rot and it doesn't splinter the way PVC can in the cold. So, uh, you know, there's there's you know, a lot of choices of materials to be made in the design uh, of a stable and and facility. And so I try to bring uh, materials that I have tried, tested, and and that work um, to the client to let them, you know, make the decision. Oftentimes it's budget that uh, is the driving force. Uh, But just because you have a tight budget doesn't mean you can't have a good warrant. Right. Um, I have had uh, clients tell me that I've done quite upscale barns for uh, one of my clients. This was in uh, the wine country of Northern California. She said, "I would love my barn just as much if it had was done in lesser materials, just because it functions so well." Mm-hmm. And uh, so I always start with the functional layout, and then. Uh, work on the exterior design and Uh, selection of materials with the client. Many times I'm asked by the client to make the stables match the architecture of the residence. And that Mm -hmm. is not difficult to do with materials, roof lines, details, uh, things like that. So I've done contemporary barns. I've done Spanish style barns. I've done very traditional barns. Lots of, of different styles, but you start with the functional uh, layout of, of the barn. I've also uh, done some barns that um, are completely off grid. One was just being completed. It's a four stall barn that we did uh, stormwater uh, collection into large tanks to store water and reuse. And we're doing all solar. Onto a battery pack wall to power the barn. Wow! Um, So uh, you know, there's there's lots of of innovative uh, environmental things that you can do in uh, developing a a facility. I've also done uh, because barns and arenas tend to have large roofs areas. Mm -hmm. uh, We've done uh, solar. panels on several large structures. So, uh, there's always ways to, uh, uh, innovate and, uh, use contemporary thinking on, on construction.
0: I love that it's, um, for you, it sounds like it's more about You know, you got to have start with a good set of bones to build something that's going to stand. And then also going off of how you can make that structure the most efficient structure as possible to benefit your farm and other aspects, too. That's really, really cool. So. I did want to ask um, for some of our listeners, what, what do you think that is something that property owners need to always consider when they're thinking about designing a facility? So I'm kind of thinking like lighting or maybe a flooring choice or how large to make stalls, some more cosmetic details that really make a big difference when they're actually using the facility. well...
1: The first thing that I always, always emphasize to my clients is make the perimeter secure Mm -hmm. so that no horse can ever get off the property. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can do interior fences that are not as tall or solid, but you, you want to have a good gate and uh, perimeter security first and, and foremost. Um, I've done projects where we've done, you know, the woven wire fence on wood posts around the perimeter. And then because of budget have done the electric tape for interior fences. So that was a way to make it work, but have the perimeter secure. Um, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of different choices of materials for things. Uh, People often ask, uh, you know, about stall fronts, for example, there's probably dozens of manufacturers of stall fronts uh, in this country and even more overseas. and they all look good in the catalog and they all look good in the showroom. But it's a lot like cars. You know, do they stand up over time? Yeah. And when I have done, um, you know, some of my larger projects, I've gone to the manufacturers and and seen, how, you know, how what their manufacturing facility is how they what their process is and then i've also toured a lot of facilities and i've asked the manufacturers to take me on tours of facilities where the stall fronts have been installed for you know 3 or 4 years mm-hmm. and i can look and see how they have stood up uh it's very very complicated to do the metal work and to do the finishing on it and horses are hard on the environment <laughs> the more you contain them the harder they are on that environment so a stalled horse that's bored is going to be chewing on things and <laughs> uh, is going to be more destructive than a horse that has access to Uh, a paddock and but horses are big strong animals so I want you know all of their environment to be strong and secure and I know realistically that a horse can get hurt on anything or nothing (laughs) but we try to (laughs) we try to you know build in uh things that will minimize that for people's safety and for horses safety I was just telling someone that in a um, broodmare barn that I designed the all the doors to be five feet wide, because oftentimes a foal will want to, you know, be right beside its dam as they go in and out of door. and, And I don't want anybody to get injured. So just to have a five foot wide door instead of a four foot wide door is a great safety thing. So anyway, I I try to tell my clients and and guide them. Sometimes it's budget that guides them. Uh, And but, you know, don't be fooled by the catalog appearance or the showroom appearance. Uh, There's a lot more uh, to the detail of every element that goes into uh, a stable. And it's, you know, yes, you can build it for short term. But for most people, this is a very large and significant investment.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: People, you know, want to have their horses at home or want to have a business. And uh, I try to guide their budget and their choices uh, appropriately. It's all in the
0: details. (laughs)
1: It really is. Yes. And I'll give you an example of an aisle in the barn there's lots and lots of choices. You know, I, I have lived with and seen, you know, dirt aisles. Um, I, you know, rubber mats over the aisles. I have done, um, concrete unit pavers, brick, brushed concrete, asphalt, um, you know, I have my oh, and I've done, of course, the rubber pavers mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, I have my personal favorites for if it were my own barn, what I would choose. Uh, but uh, the main thing for the, you know, the aisle is that it be a footing that is secure for the horses, that they're not going to slip. That's mm-hmm. the n- number one most important thing. And then the next one is that it be easy to clean because we know they get dirty. So uh, from there, you can go into lots of fun design things uh, of uh, pavers and colors and textures and things like that. But safety and and cleanability is is probably the the number one uh, criteria for the the aisles.
0: So many choices. It's fun. (laughs) Lots of different choices to choose from. Lots of things. So. Over over the years, all the facilities that you've designed, um, what are some of your must haves for facilities that you found that are just things that you think every facility should have some semblance of? Well, I always ask my
1: clients, what do you need to store undercover? You know, for example, how much hay do you need to store? Uh, Do you need to store one month or 12 months worth of hay? And that varies a great deal. But people need to think about that, how often they can get deliveries of hay. I always ask them what type of bedding Uh, they're going to use and delivery of that Um, and then just what all equipment you need to have on your facility Uh, tractors arena harrows trailers ATVs you know all the things you really want undercover Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, those are the things another thing that I always you know, designed for in the safety aspect is, is fire. And I like, for example, to store the hay, uh, separate from, uh, the stables. I like the stables to uh, all stalls to have Dutch doors uh, that go to the outside. So you would never have to go inside during a fire. Mm. Um, I have done some barns where we've done hay lofts. Um, I'm not fond of hay lofts because uh, it's work to get the hay up there, it's work to get the hay down. It cuts down on ventilation and mm. it adds a lot of dust in the air. Um, but I've also done some barns that have full fire sprinkler systems, which is great peace of mind if, if you can afford it.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so I also have done several uh, facilities where we've combined uh, living quarters with the stables.
0: Oh, cool. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, those, those are very fun, but they're also very technical uh, because there's a lot of code compliance um, issues to be mm-hmm. uh, taken into account. Not all jurisdictions will permit that combination of livestock and living quarters, uh, some strictly prohibit it. But I've done several where they are good size apartments above uh, staples. But the practical considerations are that horses are noisy all night long. And I've slept in the barn many times waiting for foals to come and uh, uh, horses are are noisy. So you want to put bedrooms over uh, spaces where horses are not like the tack room, feed room, wash stall, groom stall, uh, that sort of thing. And you can put your uh, daytime activity rooms over the stalls. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but you have to have a firewall between the barn and the living quarters and you have to have exterior stairways so that you don't ever have to go through the barn in case of fire to exit the living quarters. So just some very practical things, mm-hmm. um, for that, but it's, it's a very popular idea and I can certainly understand why.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I've seen so many uh, pictures of what you described with the, the house attached to the barn or it's upstairs and it's just kind of a, every horse girl's dream, right?
1: <laughs> oh, yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> so if you could sum up um, one piece of advice that you would give to someone that's looking to build their own equine property, what would it be? Get professional help.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that may sound self-serving, but, you know, I've, I've been in this long enough to know that the fees that you pay to professionals are really to guide and ensure the investment of all the rest of your money and a wise investment and assist you in making choices. Professionals do this, you know, all the time. I, I have done it, obviously, for years. And for most people, building a stable or a facility is a one-time-in-their-life uh, mm-hmm. operation. So they may not be familiar with construction and all of the intricacies. And I really try to help my clients understand kind of the steps that we're going to be going through in design, in choices, in permitting, in bidding, and then through the construction process, uh, because I do this day in and day out, and they typically don't. So Mm -hmm. I try to give them, you know, my years of experience of advice, and I bring in the other professionals, and all of them have many years of, of experience, and it's all to guide the rest of your investment.
0: There are, from what you've uh, described so far about the whole process, there are a lot of things that you wouldn't think of initially that um, someone with experience like yourself would be able to point out right away
1: yes yes and you know i'll give you an example is that you know people may not think about drainage but our mm-hmm. our structures are typically very large structures large roofs and then in a storm you have a very lot uh, a lot of water to deal with and where does that go without producing mud or flooding or impacting your neighbors mm-hmm. so it's you know it's just you know, one of many aspects uh, that we think about.
0: Yeah, so true. Things that things that wouldn't normally come across your mind, for sure. So I wanted to, before we conclude, I just wanted to open it up to any um, final thoughts, any points that you wanted to add, wisdom, advice, anything like that um, that we didn't get to um, in, in the meat of the podcast.
1: Well, you know, our goal is always the day that, the horses walk into the barn and take up residence and I think it's always good to keep that goal in mind uh, that's what we're working together on and we're we're really working as a team uh, to accomplish that uh, many of my clients this is the first time they have lived with horses on their own property they may not be anticipating um, the joys of that, as well as the limitations of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tell people, you know, your best friend is the person that will horse sit for you when you want to travel and having your, your backup uh, resources um, available because having horses ties you down. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, for first time, stable owners, property owners, I, I, you know, we talk through that and, uh, you know, that's a, a good, uh, you know, assistance to them.
0: For sure. Yes, exactly. Especially the if you want to travel aspect, you definitely have to, have to have someone that will come and feed for you for sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. So lastly, I just wanted to. Um, ask you where folks can find more information about, um, farm and ranch equine design website, social media, anything like that.
1: Yes. I have a a Facebook, um, uh, page for farm and barn equine design. Um, it's interesting when I was in the Willamette Valley horse it was horse farms now I'm in Central Oregon it's horse ranches (laughs) so I I, originally it was farm and barn and now I'm farm and ranch uh, to be you know all inclusive right yeah I I do have a Facebook page the website is www.farmandranchdesign.com And, uh, you know, I oftentimes, uh, you know, just get inquiries and and try to respond to them as quickly as possible. Uh, You know, sometimes phone conversations. um, I ask, you know, for an address so I can look it up on Google Earth and hopefully there's a street view of it. And uh, always start by gathering information. The more information, the better.
0: Yes. The more you know. <laughs> yes. Uh huh. Well, I will make sure and put all the links to your social media and website in the show notes so people can click on them and go right to your website and check check out more information about your business. Um, well, thank you so much for chatting with me about facility design. I always love learning about this topic, and I think that our listeners are really going to enjoy learning more about it as well. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast today, Linda. It was really nice to meet you too.
1: Thank you, Katie. And thanks for for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Arabian Horse Connection, the official podcast of the Arabian Horse Association, where we showcase the diversity of the Arabian horse community from industry titans, backyard heroes, and amateur contenders. Do you think you might have content for the Arabian Horse Connection podcast? We would love to hear from you. Please send your suggestions to marketing at arabianhorses.org. We'll see you next time, folks.